welcome to All in This Together, a podcast about co-production and citizen involvement. I'm Noreen and I'm from the Co-Production Network for Wales. Today's recording is a bit experimental, partly because it's our first ever podcast episode, so I'm learning about the podcasting technology as I go, but also because we're using it to set the scene and explain what it is that we mean by co-production and citizen involvement. So as a result, it's a slightly or very much longer episode than what we intend future episodes to be, although they don't exist yet, so who knows? Without further ado, here we go. Let's start with some definitions. First of all, we're talking about co-production in the context of public services and government and civic life and that kind of stuff. Just to specify, because if you're talking about co-production in the media or theatre or retail, they actually mean quite different things. So let's just kind of set the boundaries of this sandbox we're playing in. And in the context of public services, co-production means that people and professionals are working together, sharing power, sharing responsibility um, to make things better. That people plus professionals thing is really key and underpins co-production. Without having both uh, actors in this conversation, it's not co-production. What happens quite often is organisations uh, work with other organisations, uh, maybe to all the other people who also support the same people that they support, um, and call it co-production. And it makes me a little bit twitchy because if the citizen's not at the table, then it's not technically co-production. I call it collaboration when organisations work with other organisations, and it could be across sectors. It could be you know academia with public services, with private sector, with third sector or charity sector. Um, but as long as you know there aren't individuals being part of the conversation as people who use services and, and have a say in what the services look like, then its collaboration is not co-production. That being said, collaboration is super important because you need to work well with the other organisations that also support the people you support in order to do a good job. But just being clear on semantics, I thought I'd start with definitions. So co-production is not collaboration. And likewise, at the other end of the spectrum, if we have citizens talking to other citizens and um, doing, you know, grassroots uh, actions and projects and doing stuff for themselves, often because uh, they're not getting what they want or need out of the services that are supposed to support them, then it's not co-production either. It's community-led action. Um, and it's brilliant and it's also powerful and it does lots of good. But if we don't have both sides of the equation, both the people and the professionals, um, then it's not technically co-production. So I wanted to start with clarifying that. The um, official definition that we use at the Co-Production Network for Wales is that co-production is an asset-based approach that enables people providing and people receiving services to share power and responsibility and to work together in equal, reciprocal and caring relationships. The point of co-production is that it creates opportunities for people to access the right support when they need it, and also more widely to contribute to social change. Now, involvement is very similar to co-production. In Wales, we talk about co-production and in citizen involvement, or just involvement, um, fairly interchangeably, because partly of the policy landscape, 
we've got an, a social services and wellbeing act that talks about co-production. Uh, we've got a future generations, sorry, wellbeing or future generations act that talks about involvement. But the values are the same. The approach are the same. So I'm quite happy to um, use both words. Uh, we do tend to talk a little bit more about co-production um, in terms of the word we use, just because we're the co-production network for Wales, and that's where we started. But if I say co-production, if I say involvement, we're talking about the same thing. Unfortunately, I can't give you a recipe to do co-production because it's not a uh, um, process uh, or uh, a methodology, but it's more of an approach and a mindset. And so rather than giving you a checklist of 12 things to do and then you'll have nailed co-production, um, what I can tell you about is the five principles that underpin this work. And they are valuing all participants and building on their strengths, developing networks of support, doing what matters for people involved, building relationships of trust and sharing power, and enabling people to be change makers. Let's unpack those five principles one by one. The first one is really about being people-centered. So we talk about valuing all the participants and building on their strengths. And when I say all participants, it's not just the people we support or our service users or clients, but it's also the people in our teams. Everybody who's involved in this process has got skills and knowledge and passions and something to offer. And often what happens is if we're working with um, vulnerable or disadvantaged people, there's, there can be an assumption that they need a lot of help, but they've got nothing to offer and, you know, and there's nothing to build on, which is a huge waste of an opportunity and in, it's, not, uh, it's not good to throw people away and assume that there's nothing that they can bring to the table because actually they always can. Um, I'm reminded about um, Edgar, Carr's, Edgar Khan, C-A-H-N, Edgar Khan's seminal book, No More, no More Throwaway People, and, and the basis of co-production is really, you know, let's value everything that people have to offer, because whatever the situation, they have knowledge, they have experience, they have passions, they have dreams and aspirations, I hope, um, that we not only need to take into account, but that we can build on and strengthen, you know, how do we help people to make the most of uh, the opportunities and, and what they have and what they can and want to do. So that's principle number one, let's be people-centered. Principle number two is about developing networks of support and working across silos. So organizations are really good, even internally, to have you know a, a department that does this and a department that does that. And you know we have policymakers and we have developers and we have uh, people who deliver and people who plan and we have accounts and we have legal and they don't talk to each other that much and they certainly don't plan collectively um you know work collectively on projects you know they one of the teams get brought in right at the end when the decisions have been made and that's just internally we're not even talking across sectors or across uh, actually types of activities or even types of people so this working across silos, I really mean it in a wide sense that it's not just within our organisation, but it's also with the people we don't normally talk to. So let's bring citizens and community groups around the table, basic principle of co-production, but also let's bring in the other organisations that support the same people we do. Let's do some collaboration and also let's 
bring in maybe people who we don't normally talk to, but actually how also have an impact on the life of the people we we're trying to support and uh, do better things with. Which brings me quite neatly onto principle number three, which is being outcomes focused, i.e. doing what matters for the people involved. I just mentioned um, talking to the org other organisations that have an impact on the life of the people we support. And actually, that's what this is about. On an individual level, it's looking at, um, you know, when we do an assessment with people saying, what does a good life look like for you? How can we support you? To get there what can we do and with the assumption that people always have something to offer um, and linking up with uh, all the different stakeholders in the story we're putting people at the center and focusing on what matters to them and what is going to make a difference in their life so rather than looking at outputs and how many appointments we've done or how long they've been or how many people have come to an event really we're looking at what difference has it made in people's lives. Let's consider and measure the right things. Let's be outcomes focused. The fourth principle of co-production is the one that probably underpins the first three, which is building trusted relationships. We need to build relationships where we trust each other and we're able to share power in order to share the decision-making, make better, more innovative decisions and do co-production well. And without trusted relationships, we can't be as people-centered, we can't work across silos in the same way, and we can't focus on what matters to people. So building trust is absolutely key. And without, without doing that work, which seems quite intangible and quite fluffy and focusing on relationships, actually that enables us to do all the hard stuff well, do the innovation and do the, the different kind of thinking about things and the coming up with different solutions. And finally, principle number five is about moving, especially for organizations, moving from a mindset of we deliver a service to we enable people to make change. And again, people in this context are either our, the people in our teams and our organization or the people we support. But everybody can be an actor and make change happen and, and change things for the better. But organizations have a duty and a responsibility to enable that to happen, you know, let people innovate and um, make a difference. There's loads and loads and loads that I could talk about, you know, at length about all of this. as so much in my head. But in the interest of keeping this uh, recording concise, because I fear it oh, it's already going to be quite lengthy, um, I just want to add a quick note or maybe a caveat um, on the stuff we've talked about so far, you know, what co-production is and, and how it's underpinned by the five principles. Really that it's not about saying um, organisations are handing over the responsibility to citizens just because they can't, for whatever reason, do it. And we'll talk about the reasons in a bit. It's about enabling organisations and enabling communities to do what they're best at and those strengths are complementary. So, for example, I, years ago I worked on a, a co-production project in West Wales and we had a little old lady who used to go to the doctors every single morning. That was her routine. She'd get up and have a cup of tea and get dressed and toggle down to the doctors because it was one of those surgeries where you turn up at heartache and you wait 
to be seen in order of arrival. And um, she recently moved to the area after her husband had passed away and she didn't know anyone. And so that was her one human contact every day. It was having a check-in with the doctor's surgery. And after she got involved in some um, co-production projects through time credits, actually, um, she went and, you know, took part in coffee mornings and made friends and found that other people wanted to learn knitting and she knew how to do knitting, so started a craft group. Or, and she just, you know, flourished and, and made connections in her community, in her neighbourhood. And when we checked in with her six months later and saying, oh, you know, how's it going? Are you still going to the doctor's? She basically said, oh, no, I haven't, I haven't got time for that anymore, which was really sweet and really funny. But also, on a serious note, means that communities are amazing at that resilience, that looking after each other and looking out for our neighbours and being a community. And actually, we're expecting at the moment public services to do all of that as well as their professional skills and expertise. But instead, if we strengthen our communities, if we do everything that we can do for ourselves as citizens with our neighbours and our friends and our families, then that releases the public services to do what they're best at, you know, being doctors and delivering the, the stuff that they've trained professionally to do. So I'm going to pause there. We're going to have a little musical interlude. And um, in a minute, we're going to talk about how we start applying this in practice. Let's put co-production into a wider context of public service delivery. The caveat that I'd like to drop in at this point is that I am by no means advocating to do co-production with everybody for everything all of the time. Let me unpack this. So imagine the spectrum in front of you, a, a kind of line, a line, a horizontal line in front of you and on the left-hand end of it, we've got doing two, doing two people, uh, assuming that they're passive recipients of services. Under this doing two category, we've got things like coercion, but also protection uh, and education, letting people know what's good for them. And then if we travel right a little bit, we've got doing four people. So this covers things like informing people, consulting, so our decisions as professionals are informed by the citizens, or doing participation and engagement, so our decisions are influenced, sorry, influenced by citizens. Um, but for all of these things, the decision-making locus and the locus of power remains with the organisation, so we might find out what people want, but it's our responsibility and our role as professionals to take that information and make the best we can out of it and deliver what people say they would like. And then travelling right a little bit uh, into onto the, right, the end of this spectrum, we've got doing with. So this is professionals doing with citizens, and the things that sit under here are, you probably guessed, co-production and involvement. Now, sometimes doing two people or doing four people is absolutely the right response. 
I am by no means saying that doing with people the co-production and involvement approach should be applied all the time and for everything. This the spectrum that I've just talked about or that I'm talking about um, is inspired and derived from the work of uh, Sherry Arnstein. She um, put together in 1969 a ladder of citizen participation and it was a, literally a ladder with rungs going from doing to at the bottom and going up through doing for up to doing with. And the thing that's it's it's a really good model and I and I like the category she's established but what makes me slightly uncomfortable is that because it's a, a vertical ladder it kind of implies that we should be aiming for doing with all of the time. And so that's why I wanted to unpack here is actually for example, if somebody's had a heart attack and the paramedics are on the scene, they're really not in a position to co-produce their journey of care. Doing to, you know, the team jumping into action and doing what needs doing to this person who's unconscious is absolutely the right response at that point. And likewise, if, um, if I've broken both my arms, I might need some assistance in brushing my teeth and maybe need somebody to do it for me because at that point I am not able to and for lots of different reasons uh, people at different points of their lives or at different points of the their interaction with their public services will have needs that fall into the doing to and doing for category and that's absolutely fine so I'm not saying never do two never do four but do them in the right amount and in the right contexts so it needs to be proportionate and relevant as a as a response the problem with doing two and doing four is that they tend to be used as a default blanket solution to respond to people's needs and actually that's a real shame because if we do that when actually we could and should be doing with people we're robbing citizens and our service users of the opportunity to have a voice and have choice and control over the services that support them and, and the processes that support them so what I'm saying is, doing two and doing four are not wrong, but let's not use them as a blanket approach. Doing with, wherever and whenever we can, is absolutely what we should be aiming for. But let's not be, um, what's the word? Um, I've forgotten the word I want. But, um, or maybe dogmatic about it. And let's acknowledge that sometimes doing two and doing four is the right thing. Let's just make it context appropriate. Now, on this lovely horizontal spectrum that's going from doing two to doing four to doing with, um, when we work with people, we might find them at crisis point where there needs a lot, there needs to be, sorry, there needs a, a, not, a lot needs to happen, uh, like the person who's had a heart attack. And we're hoping that we can move them along the spectrum and work with them and build their capability and their recovery and their circumstances so that they move from doing being done to to do being done for with support and then eventually doing with and standing on their own two feet and actually having an active involvement and input in the services that support them. And it's this lovely linear um, journey from left to right into capability and beyond. But actually... Life happens, and so even though these models are really lovely and theoretical and in these you know snappy little frameworks, actually people's lives aren't linear, and so we might meet somebody who needs a lot doing and then evolve them through the spectrum or evolve with them rather through the spectrum to being more involved and then stuff happens, you know circumstances change, 
the mum passes away, the tenancy's at risk, and suddenly they've got less capacity, just brain space and energy to put into that, and they need more support. And that's okay. We just need to meet people where they are, and but to really understand where they're at in their life journey, we need that relationship of trust so that we can talk about it and we can understand where they're at and what support they need. So I'm coming back to trust as the principle number four, four principles of co-production. Actually, trust underpins everything so that we understand where people are at and we can accompany them in the journey. That's what we need to establish. As well as that comment about meeting people where they are, you know, and, and accompanying them on their journey, there's um there's something else I want to add to that is that we we sometimes well we sometimes work at uh, individual individual level doing co-production um, on a one-to-one basis you know what's what's important to you what's your recovery journey or what's what's important in your life right now and and how do we meet your needs um, sometimes we work at a more service level you know how do we improve a service or design a service and that reaches many people. And sometimes we work at a very strategic level as an organization, saying, you know, how do we make decisions for the next five years or ten years um, and shape the organization um, and how do we involve people in that? And they're, they're complementary but different approaches. And what I wanted to add is that we can't plonk somebody on a board out of the blue and expect them to thrive. We've got to, just like I was saying earlier, we need to meet people where they are. We've also got to start with what's important to them right now. And so let's help them solve their priorities for them or for their, their close family, you know, what's on their mind right away. And in, think about it as a, as, um, as a pyramid, I was going to say. You know, the, the base of this pyramid, this, the bottom of the, the structure is this greater number of people. We need to meet their needs right now, what's important to them. And then as you go up the pyramid, some of them, not all, will see the point of remaining involved and making a contribution to you know, what does their neighborhood look like or their community or the service and have a part in these more group based decisions and then as you go up the pyramid some more some of them and again not all of them will see the point you know having been through this journey of having an input at board level or at strategic level so you can't drop somebody up there right away you need to accompany them again through the journey up the pyramid so that they can see where their place is in the system and how their voice has got the most impact and build that confidence and that trust that actually they matter and they're being listened to and, and that their voice matters at every level. The, the Through this process, you build people's um, trust and their commitment. There's a tiny caveat on this. I had a discussion with like, academic ones who disagreed and said, no, you can absolutely put people straight into you know strategic making positions uh, sorry strategic decision making positions um if you do a citizens jury or a citizens assembly or that kind of um of structure but you need it costs money and it costs time you need re- you need especially money you need resources to do that so if you grow it organically grow people through these levels of increased commitment and um trust and involvement uh, and if you have resources to grow it then yes, you can bring together a crowd and give them all the information they need to make valid decisions and and trusted decisions right away. So that's it for this little bit. I wanted to talk about 
um, doing two, doing four, doing with. Um, after a short musical interlude, we're going to um, do a quick detour through complexity theory and talk again about uh, when do we do co-production and when we do not, but looking at it from a different angle. So, complexity theory. This might not seem relevant right now, but trust me, it will come full circle and we will come back to co-production. When I first came across complexity theory, I got really excited because I could see where it linked up with uh, our work in co-production. And the main thing that it gives me is a way to categorize problems in um, into what type they are and, and what are and then what are the, the best ways to address them and solve them. Complexity theory, um, there's loads of stuff writing reports, frameworks, information around on complexity theory on the internet, just do a quick Google. Um, you might also want to look up the Kinevin framework, C-Y-N-E-F-I-N, Kinevin, developed by Dave Snowden. Um, it's a Welsh word for habitat, and it's just a different way of explaining the complexity theory. And um, so complexity theory, the thing that's really that I find really useful is it's a way of explaining, of identifying what sorts of challenges you're looking at. And I want to talk about three types. There's actually five in the, the big model, but three are the ones that are really relevant in this work in public services. The first type of challenge, let's call it the simple challenge. Think about, um, for example, baking a cake. So you have a documented process because you have a recipe. You don't need a lot of training or a lot of practice to get it right. If you follow all the instructions in the right order with the right equipment, it will probably turn out the way you expect. And that's the third thing. It's, it's predictable. So if you do all the right things, the way it's instructed in the recipe, you will get pretty much what you expect to get as a result. So that's a simple problem. A complicated problem is like building a rocket. And you, you might think of it as like lots of cakes stuck together, but actually there's, a, there's something else about it. So it's also got a documented process. You'd have, you know, you'd make all your plans up front. You'd have blueprints and um, Gantt charts and all sorts of planning stuff, but you'd map it all out and source all the um, people hours and equipment and resources and raw materials and then put it all together. You probably need much more training than you need to bake a cake and deal with a simple challenge. So you'll need some rocket scientists and astrophysicists and astronauts and all sorts of people involved in the process of uh, building a rocket, people with training. And then ultimately you get a predictable result. So if you do all the right things with the right people in the right order, you'll be able to cut the ri ribbon and have a launch and put a person on the moon. So these are simple and complicated problems. They tend to be about stuff, things, material things, production, um, processes, and they're predictable. So they have a cause and an effect, and they're sometimes referred to as tame problems in policy circles, especially as opposed to wicked problems, which is the next thing that we're going to talk about. The third type, so we've got simple challenges, complicated challenges. The third type is complex challenges, and that's where it gets really interesting and relevant for us. Complex challenges 
where I use the example of the cake and the rocket for the others, for the 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 image I use for the complex challenge is this kind of ball of kind of just like a big tangled ball of wool. Um because you they're the kind of problems where you shift one you know you adjust one aspect and then something else shifts in return the other side of the ball of wood and then you pull on this bit to solve it and then something else tightens or loosens and everything has an impact on everything else and it's this big this big ball of wool this big tangle of things that has impact on, on every other factor in this in this challenge so complex challenges are things like um loneliness obesity substance misuse even democracy things that have so many factors that impact them and, and have a, an effect and, and an action on the whole system. And they're usually to do with people, people's lives and, and relationships and, uh, and kind of the soft, mushy human stuff as opposed to processes and, and materials and building things. Complex, um, complex problems are to do with people, and people can also be referred to, in complexity theory, people are referred to as networked adaptive systems. And what that means is that they networked, as in they're connected to everything else, so every person's life is connected to a bunch of other people's lives. They're adaptive, so when there's lots and lots of different factors that impact on somebody's life, and when some things change in their environment, so they change in response, and everything keeps evolving. Um, and so every human being is a complex adaptive system. So a society full of human beings is a, a larger scale, massively complex adaptive system and, and this and so forth at lots of levels of scale. Co-production is perfect for dealing with complex problems. Because when you think about it, there's no documented process. Nobody knows, nobody has a magic formula or a process that will solve loneliness or that will solve poverty. Nobody's got the expertise, let me rephrase that, no individual or, or single team has the expertise to solve these issues, society, usually, the big societal issues. And thirdly, we don't even know if there is an end point. You know, we don't know if there'll be a date where we can cut the ribbon and go, ta-da, we've solved poverty. As far as we know at the moment, we can address it, but we can maybe not solve it. So in those three dimensions, they are different from, complex problems are different from simple and complicated problems. And that's why it's so important when you deal with complexity that you don't, you can't possibly plan everything up front. So you prototype, you try things, you experiment, you find out by doing and you adjust. And that means you need to, all the brains you can get around the table, everybody who's got a stake in this and whose life is touched by this, you need to bring them in and build the understanding and build solutions together so that we can try them because we need all the perspectives and all the intel that we can get from all the different angles to try and address these problems and hopefully make a dent in them. But bearing in mind that it was probably going to be a constantly adaptive uh, thing and so we're going to have to keep working on it and responding to it and responding to change. And basically that's adopting an innovation mindset of being able to operate in complexity and so a co-production approach which brings everybody together builds on everybody's skills you know it's about co-designing solutions and and responding to what's there in terms of improving our public services and and contributing to social change that absolutely matches up 
really well with complex problems. So the, the other side of the medal that I want to mention for this is let's not apply co-production to simple and complicated problems. So if you're doing, if you're managing a process that's, for example, I don't know, um, building an IT system that enables a number of organizations to share lots of data and the users are all going to be internal to the organization. If you ask citizens and you know, the end, the kind of the end service users of the services, what, what it should look like or how it should work, they won't really care or have an opinion as long as it works. So only involve the people who it's relevant to, and it could be that you're only talking to the people who are going to use the system and the experts designing the system to do this, who you want collaboration there. Don't, or a simpler example, if you're simply moving offices and moving premises, you don't need to co-produce the solution when all you need to do is go and order 24 telephones. However, if you take a complicated approach, you know, a linear predictive approach where you plan everything up front and you try and apply it to a complex problem, you're going to fall over because actually you're going to do all this planning up front and investment of time and energy. And actually, it's not going to work and you'll have wasted all that time and resource. And unfortunately, that's kind of the traditional maybe old school way of doing public services where somebody in an office somewhere is tasked with defining the problem, finding a solution, maybe writing a policy on an implementation plan. And then maybe it goes to consultation, but by which point so much has been invested in it that actually it's likely to go through anyway. And to be fair, it will probably help some people. It just wouldn't be as effective as it could be if you'd involve more people earlier on. So in complexity, in co-production, you want to bring people together, gather people, design solutions, iterate them, test them, prototype them, and learn from what's working and also what's not working before you get to the thing, the, the answer that you can then apply and embed. Um, but likewise, you don't want to bring a big committee of people together if it's a simple linear solution and it's just ordering your 24 telephones. So it's about the, what Tinevin and complexity gives me in this context of working in public services is when do we get the experts in and when do we gather the people to get bring the experts in when you have linear problems to do with things and bring the people together when it's nebulous, complex social issues that need solving with the, the wisdom of the crowd. I... I think that's it on complexity, except for one, again, a caveat. This is the way I've, I've just explained it is deliberately reductive, just for illustration purposes. But actually, you can have a big linear process overall that will have little pockets of complexity within it. And likewise, you might have a big complex issue that you're solving, and there'll be bits of linear things inside it. So just to be aware. But on the whole, if you're not sure whether your response to something should be complicated as in linear or complex then my tip would be well try bringing people together and solving it as if it's complex because people will soon tell you if they don't need to be there and, and they don't see the point of being involved so if you're not sure try complexity and very quickly you'll find out whether it's linear and do not whatever you do try not to apply linear processes to complex problems, which is what we were talking about earlier in the previous segment, is in don't do don't do two or four if you're able to do it. 
So that's it on complexity. We're going to move on to talk a tiny bit about why co-production is everywhere at the stage and how do we turn this theoretical framework I've talked about into practice and yeah I'll speak to you after a musical break I'd like to conclude this podcast with a short segment on why we're talking about co-production and citizen involvement so much in Wales at this stage. And it's partly because we've got a growing body of Welsh policy and legislation that explicitly states that co-production and citizen involvement should be part of the public services way of working. Like I mentioned earlier near the start of this episode, the Social Services Wellbeing 2014 Act mentions co-production in the context of social care, well-being and health and the Wellbeing of Future Generations Wales 2015 Act talks about citizen involvement as one of the five ways of working alongside collaboration, partnership, integration and long-termism. So there's a, there's a legislative priority in why people and organisations are paying attention to co-production and citizen involvement at the moment in Wales, which, which is particular to Wales, and which is pretty groundbreaking, as far as I know, in terms of international you know, legislation in other countries. But there's other reasons as well. You know, this is getting the conversation going and, and getting people to sit up and pay attention and try and find out what this whole co-production citizen involvement business is about. But actually, we've also been in a context of austerity for about 10 years now. We have decreasing budgets, public services and third sector organisations under increasing pressure to deliver more with less resources, less money, less time, less staff. And we've also got an aging population and changing needs. And some of it is self-generated by the austerity context. And actually people are falling into more poverty and struggling more. So they need more help, quite apart from the natural movement of the demographic uh, trends of the population. So we definitely need to be able to do more with less. And because everybody's under so much pressure, the thresholds for eligibility and being able to access services are creeping up and up, which means people are falling through the cracks in the net and they're getting to crisis before they can access services. It's really not working in a prevention direction and we get, we're having to pick up people when their lives are so much worse than they could have been or they would have been if we'd caught them earlier. So there's a, there's a failure of the system that's putting additional pressure on both citizens and services. And also there's simply, a, I suppose, a human or moral or ethical reason why working the way we have been traditionally is just not right anymore. It, if we say that public services have got the resource and solutions and uh, the service user just has a need. It's creating a very one directional transactional relationship saying, you know, you have the problems and you've got nothing to offer. We have, we and our benevolence and munificence have everything, you know, we have the solutions to your problems, but the way to keep getting help is to keep coming back with more problems. So we're creating a cycle of dependency and actually disempowering people rather than if we were to switch that 
telescope round say you know what have you got what's working how can we help you build on that and empowering people and communities to be stronger so that there's there'll always be a need for public services but then we're able to do what we're trained to do best as professionals and plug the gaps in communities as opposed to starting with everything that's wrong so that's a very quick a bird's eye view of the context of why this topic of co-production and citizen involvement is um, popping up all over the place in Wales at the moment. But I'd also like to talk a little bit about how I've been talking for probably about, I don't know, about 25 minutes about this framework, you know, what co-production is, what, what, what you do, what you don't do, how you approach it. And it's all very simple in theory. It's quite, um, although it takes it's difficult in nutshell, in my experience, when I try and explain it to people. It takes me a while and they take some examples. It's not that concise to get across. Because, partly because co-production isn't sexy in itself. Co-production is means to an end. And actually, it's the end that's really interesting. The transformation that co-production makes possible is amazing. When it's done well, communities thrive and services are strengthened. And, you know, things can be really, it, the effects can be really powerful. But it's quite difficult to adopt, even though in theory it's very simple, because we're trying to change the systems and, and our organisations at the same time as we're still trying to deliver the services or even more at the same level or, or a higher level than we have. And it's a little bit like trying to build a ship while we're sailing it. So it's incredibly difficult. And we do need to acknowledge that to do co-production well, we need permission to give it a go, and we need headspace to be able to figure our way through this. And we need time because even though doing two and doing four, you know, might not be the right options, they're actually quite quick, they're quite fast. It's easier to make a decision somewhere behind a closed door and implement it than to bring a bunch of people together and make a collective deliberation decision and, you know, share that power and share that responsibility the difference of course is we have to repeatedly uh, make these short-term decisions that don't work very well as opposed to doing one loop of the deliberative participative co-production process but that initial loop takes longer even though in the long term it's uh, it's much more effective and much more powerful so we need to be able to have the headspace the time and the permission to do this and that's why it's difficult to adopt because really what we've got with co-production and citizen involvement is a way of thinking about our services, about our role as professionals, about what it's about, that's different. So it's a culture change and a behaviour change. And so that always takes a while to get our heads around and it's it works, it's embedded best by experiencing it. You need to see it in action and, and so that it's demystified and, and, and how it can work and how powerful it can be. Um, so there's always a little initial hurdle in terms of getting your head around it. But eventually, you know, once you when you adopt the practice and you apply it in, in the ways it needs to be applied in the places where it's relevant, then it just makes um, public services much better and much simpler and much more effective and much more inclusive and all sorts of good things. So it's very worth doing and putting the effort in. But with the the, the caveat that it's very easy for me to say that here in my little recording and saying all you need to do is all the stuff when actually I'm so aware that in an organization and the, the daily context 
that everybody operates in. It is challenging. It's very possible, but I'm not um, underplaying the fact that it is challenging. So I want to leave you on a, an, a thought about how to turn all this theoretical framework I've just talked about into practice and, and imagining what it could look like. And we do have a knowledge base uh, at the Co-Production Network for Wales that you can find on the internet at info.coproNet.wales. And it has a bunch of case studies and examples and all sorts of information about all kinds of aspects of co-production and citizen involvement, including some toolkits and some methods and approaches and ways to run things, as well as some research and um, policy documents and all the things we could think of around this um, co-production and citizen involvement topic. They live on the knowledge base at info.coproNet.wales. We're also planning and hoping to run future podcast episodes about unpacking what it looks like in practice and challenges and opportunities. But for now, I think I have witted on for long enough and I hope I've given you a sense of what co-production and citizen involvement are and what we're talking about. I could talk about this for days and days and it's hugely rich and complicated and complex even and actually we'll keep unpacking those as part of the work of the network and keep talking about it. Special thanks for this episode go to Mark Nelson for prompting me to finally get all the stuff out of my head and into a recording. All in this together, this podcast about co-production and citizen involvement is hosted by me, Noreen Blolleray, at the Co-Production Network for Wales. Check us out on the interwebs by looking for copronet.wales. Thanks for listening. See you next time.